So here we are, and we're thinking today about what Jesus had to say about being disciples. And it, it follows on from last week's discussion, when last week, you will remember, we looked at what Jesus had to say immediately following the Feast of Tabernacles, which is in chapter 7. <clears throat> Everybody then was packing up to go home, and Jesus took the opportunity to speak to people. And he said to them in verse 12, we thought of last week, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And last week we concluded with the passage or the verse 30. And verse 30 says that even as he spoke, many put their faith in him. When Jesus talked about being the light of the world, the Jews and the Pharisees were really, really angry with Jesus. But it says that even though they were angry, many put their faith in him. And uh, we start today with verse 31 of John chapter 8. And verse 31 says this, to the Jews who had believed in him, Jesus said. Now, in the New International Version that I've just read from, there's a word that's missing in the translation. And it's missing in some of the other translations, but it's there in the original and it is in some of the originals. It says, uh, some of the translations, it says, therefore, to the Jews who had believed in him, Jesus said something. Or so, or consequently. In other words, in verse 30, when John wrote this, he's pointing out that there's a clear link between verse 30 and verse 37. Verse 30 is, it's important to notice this link because in verse 30 it says many believed in him and then verse 31 he starts by telling us that because many believed in him therefore Jesus spoke to those who had believed in him and has some important things to say to them so there's a straight link between the two verses and by the way notice that it says he spoke therefore Jesus spoke to those who had believed in him in other words there was a faith a belief in Jesus in verse 30 but in verse 31 these same people did not really believe in him which led Jesus to have a fuller explanation of what it means to believe in him. And that's what our passage is telling us today. Now, there are three very important questions. In fact, they are critical questions that we're thinking about today. And the first question is this. Is it possible for a believer to have faith and then fall away? Can you have faith and lose it? Or can you believe and then fall away? Now, one of the most well-known stories that Jesus told is the story of the parable of the sower. In it, Jesus talked about sowing the seed of the word of God in four different types of soil. As the sower went out to sow his seed, of course, they sowed it by hand, throwing the seed out in those days, some of the seed fell on the pathway where the birds of the air swept down and quickly ate up the seed. And as the birds got their meal, the seed was wasted as far as growing is concerned. It came to nothing. Then there's the second sort of ground, and that is amongst the thorns and weeds. 
which it, we, we're told quickly choked it when they grew up, they choked the seed and that also came to nothing. Perhaps it was along the edges, the verges of the field, but the thorns and weeds grew up and the seed that was sown also came to nothing. Then there's a third uh, um, ground that's mentioned in that story Jesus told, and this is rocky ground. Rocky ground with very little soil or moisture. And it led to the seed springing up quickly. Perhaps the dew early in the morning moistened the soil and the warmth of the sun warmed the rocks up on which this shallow soil was. And the seed sprang up quickly. But when the sun was at its full strength, it quickly withered because it didn't have the depth of soil necessary to grow. And then there's the fourth type of seed, which fell on good ground, which produced um, a harvest. Different amounts for different seeds, but they all produced a good crop. Now it's the third of these types of seal, uh, soil, uh, soil, these third um, lots of seed that are particularly relevant to us in John chapter eight. That is the seed that fell on the rocky ground and it sprang up, but it did not last. When Jesus told this story, by the way, it's recorded in Matthew, Mark and Luke, all three Gospels. Luke says in chapter 8 and verse 13, when it sprang up, they believed for a while. These were believers, but only for a while. Now, how could this be? How's that possible? Did they believe or didn't they believe? Well, Jesus said they believed. And he explained the situation and he says this in Luke 8, 13, they believed for a while, but in the time of testing, they fell away. Mark and Matthew, Matthew and Mark, when they record the same parable, they both add another point. They tell us that when the seed was sown on this shallow, rocky ground, they received it at once or immediately. And all three Gospels tell us they received it with great joy. They were delighted. So here's the picture. They hear the word of God, the seed that is sown. They're filled with joy when they receive it. They're delighted. And then they do something about it and they believe it. They become believers. Then Luke adds, they believe it for a while. So it's quite clear that it's perfectly possible to be a believer filled with joy and for the word of God to spring up quickly, but sooner or later for it to come to nothing. And Jesus points out when that is. He says, when persecution and opposition arise, or as Mark and Matthew put it, when trouble and persecution arises because of the word. Now, it's very important that I add something here. We have been asking the question, is it possible to be a believer and then fall away? And the answer we've seen is yes. Sadly, it is possible. But notice that is not the same question as, is it possible to be saved and then fall away? Or is it possible to have eternal life and then lose it? Answering that question is a very big issue 
for another time. But the simple answer is no. After all, if you have the gift of eternal life and then you lose it, then it wasn't eternal, was it? That's obvious, really. That's what Hebrews chapter 6 is about. If you're a Bible student and know Hebrews chapter 6, you'll know there's that difficult section in the middle about falling away. That's what it's all about. In other words, you may be a believer, but not saved. You may see the person and work of Jesus and agree that it's wonderful and that it applies to you. You agree that the work of Jesus on the cross is the most wonderful news that you've ever heard. You may tell others that for the first time you've recognized that all that Jesus offers in salvation is applicable to you. You believe it. You look like a Christian. You sound like a Christian. You behave as if you're a Christian. You're changed to be like a Christian. But then, so sadly, at some time, what Jesus says is when the sun came up or when trouble or persecution arises, you either fall away, walk away gradually drifting away and the seed comes to nothing. There is no eternal fruit. So if the first question that this passage throws up, is it possible to be a believer and then fall away? That's the relationship between verse 30 and 31. The answer is yes, sadly it is. So the next question is, what grounds do we have or indeed, what grounds does Jesus have for saying that these Jewish so-called people of faith were not really believers? Well, the discussion that follows centers around three issues that Jesus raises. Their freedom, their family, and their father. Three Fs that were iffy for them. First of all, their freedom. Their freedom is the first one. That's verses 32 to 34. In verse 32, Jesus pointed out that they needed to be free. Then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free, is what he said. To which their immediate response was, in verse 33, we're Abraham's descendants. We've never been slaves to anyone. How can you say that we need to be free? Now, that was not really an unwarranted response. In one sense, it was entirely justified. But what did they mean? After all, they'd been in bondage in Egypt for 400 years earlier on in their history. They'd been in bondage in Babylon, in bondage in Syria. And even as Jesus said these things to them, they were under the Roman um, authorities. But in a very real sense, they had never really been enslaved, or to put it another way, the Jews had never had their spirit broken. Because even today, in living memory of some people around today, the Jews have lived in many countries where they were scattered, the diaspora, scattered because of persecution and other things, across Europe, for example. But unlike any other nation on earth, they had managed, even when they were scattered in all these other countries, they were managed, uh, they managed to retain a proud, independent, uh, clearly identifiable sense of belonging together. They were an identifiable people. By the way, I think that's one of the things that has made, in some people's minds, the Jews objectionable to some, because they would not be absorbed into the culture where they found themselves. 
because we in the UK are a mixed race. But not many people know today, unless you've studied it and you take an interest in these things, not many today know whether they were Anglos or Picts or Saxons or Celts or Germanic tribal people or Normans or Vikings or whatever. And the strong evidence is that even the recent groups that are joining our nation have taken up residence here are gradually being absorbed till after a few generations, they will just be absorbed as part of the whole United Kingdom, but not so the Jews. Even after 400 years in Egypt, they remained a proud independent people. So it's not surprising that they said to Jesus, we've never been enslaved. That means never subjugated in spirit by anyone. Don't tell us that we need to be free. From their point of view, they were right. So Jesus responded in the, to their comment in verse 33 when they said, we're not slaves to anyone. He responded in verse 34 with, oh yes you are, you're slaves to sin. You are only thinking on a human, material, cultural, national level. I'm talking about a spiritualist issue. You're slaves to sin. And that was something that was not on their radar at all. So the first thing is, he spoke to them about their need for freedom. Secondly, he spoke about the family. This is verse 35 and 36. Now, the line of discussion changes to the consequences of being a, a slave of sin. Jesus tells them that the consequence was just like the relationships within a household of that time. He says in verse 35, now a slave has no permanent place in the family, or household as Hebrews calls it, but a son belongs to it forever. It's interesting, isn't it, that he uses the phrase no permanent place, or some versions has it, have it does not remain in the house or family. A slave may act as a member of the family, may join in with the family, speak like the family, take the name of the family, enjoy the company of the family, but at the end of the day, he is not actually part of the family. There's no permanence. There never actually were sons, because a son remains a son forever. He cannot change it. Whatever he says or does, he cannot stop being a son to his father or his mother. He may change his name or move away or refuse to talk to his original family, make up, take up relationships with another family. At the end of the day, though, he's still part of the family into which he was born. In our speaking personally, in our wider family, we have an adopted granddaughter. She's a lovely little girl who in many ways looks like her adoptive mother. She now has their name surname of Chilvers. She is entirely accepted as part of the family. Her brothers look upon her as their sister. In fact, <clears throat> because she was adopted when she was barely more than a baby, she presumably will not remember any of her former life before her adoption. But in fact, of course, she will remain her natural mother and father's daughter despite what the adoption papers say, or into which family she now belongs. She can't change who her parents were. 
Jesus' argument here is that whatever they say, these Jewish people needed to know that whatever they may have thought, in fact, what they were in reality was slaves to sin. And that meant that they were not truly children of Abraham, because Abraham is the father of those who have faith. So first of all, he speaks about freedom. Then he speaks about the family. And then he goes on to speak about their father. And it's here that Jesus gets very personal with them. You may have believed what I was saying in verse 30 when they said that they uh, were believers. Yes, in verse 30, you may think of yourselves as good Jews. Verse 33, yes, you may see yourselves as part of the household of the people of God. But actually, you've not understood what I said, Jesus was saying to them. You're enslaved by sin, and because you're a slave to sin, you're not really part of the family of the people of God. And he goes even further now. He said, in fact, you don't even have the same father as I do. That's verses 42 and 44. Verse 42, Jesus said, if God were your father, you would love me, for I came from God. And then he says, but in verse 44, you belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. In fact, this section finishes in verse 47 with Jesus saying, you don't even belong to God. It's incredible, isn't it? Jesus was not the sort of person who would write a book, How to Win Friends and Influence People, if he speaks like this, was he? So the first question of this passage that this passage raises is, is it possible to be seen as a believer and then fall away? And the answer here is yes. That's the difference between verses 30 and 31. And the second question is, what, on what grounds does Jesus, does, does Jesus have for saying that these Jewish so-called people of faith, verse 30, were not true believers, verses 31 to 47? And the answer we've seen is Jesus saw their slavery to sin from which they needed freedom. He also saw the fact they didn't belong to the family of the people of God because they were not people of faith. And thirdly, Jesus saw that uh, they were of their father, the devil, and did not know God as their heavenly father. Now this raises a third and a crucially important question and here is the question. How can I make sure that my faith is lasting? How can I make sure that my trust in Jesus is going to endure to eternal life? How can I know that my faith will produce fruit, to use the analogy Jesus used, and will produce a harvest eternally. Well, according to the Bible, and Jesus in particular in this passage of scripture, it all depends upon my relationship to the seed. See, in the story of the sower, in Matthew 13, 23, it says that those who, Jesus says that those who hear and understand will produce good fruit. Luke says in Luke 8, 15, it is those who have a good and noble heart towards the seed who will produce good fruit. Now, what Jesus is saying in this passage, <coughs> excuse, <coughs> excuse me, 
What Jesus is saying in this passage is woven throughout all of these verses, 31 to 47. And it'll just good, do you good, good sometime to, to read these verses slowly and carefully together. And what you'll find is this, eight times in these verses, Jesus talks about the truth. Four times, he speaks about my teaching, my word, my language, and what he spoke. And three times, he speaks about what they have heard. Jesus starts off not with saying how great it was that they put their faith in him, verse 30, what they thought of him and how they reacted to him. But he said, to paraphrase what he says in verse 31, you may say that you're a believer and think I'm great and that you're one of my followers, but you are actually only my disciples if you hold on to my teaching. That's verse 31. Don't for one minute think that an on the line, on the spur of the moment decision or response is a sufficient response to Jesus. Perhaps because you're persuaded by an invitation, uh, an earnest evangelist, or a plea from somebody, or because you see others following Jesus, or because you're feeling low and one day feel that Jesus may be able to help you. Responding because of these and a dozen other things may be helpful and indeed it is helpful it's right and it's appropriate and i'm not critical of any of those types of responses but if that is all there is jesus says when the sun has risen and the heat of the day is great or when persecution comes your way it will eventually come to nothing unless you hold fast to the teaching the truth what Jesus spoke of and what the word of God says, because it's, it's so important to you that you won't let it go. Then he said, if you don't hold on to that, you're not my disciple. It's a pretty harsh word, isn't it really? But if you're very critical of me saying all this, let me just mention that it's not me saying this. This is what Jesus said to these people. These people initially thought Jesus was great. But eventually they had no real place in their hearts for his word, his truth, or what he said. The evidence that you're truly his disciple is holding fast to his teaching, Jesus said. And those who hold fast to his teaching will never lose their salvation. In Romans chapter 6, the Apostle Paul is discussing what Jesus has been uh, what Jesus has been talking about in these verses about the slavery of sin and in Romans 6 17 he says this thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin you wholeheartedly obeyed now what would you write thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin you wholeheartedly obeyed well some Parts of the church would say, the church, you wholeheartedly obeyed the church. Some would say, you wholeheartedly obeyed the evangelist. Some would say even, you wholeheartedly obeyed the gospel. Some would say, you wholeheartedly obeyed the Holy Spirit. All of which, of course, are good, right answers. But that's not what Paul says. Paul says, in Romans 6, verse 17, Thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin, you wholeheartedly obeyed 
the form of teaching to which you were committed. If you want to be sure that your faith, your belief is permanent, that it will take you through thick and thin, and that you can hold on to the hold on to it right to the end. It's as you hold on to the teaching of the word of God. Because only by that means will you understand that what Jesus has done in setting you free from sin is yours. And what it means to be part of the family of the people of God into which he's brought you. And helping you to see that God is now your loving heavenly father and no longer just an awful judge. And when you see that, you'll be changed forever. The aim of your daily walk will be entirely to have fellowship with him and to please him and to make him known. And you may be absolutely sure that one day you'll be in his presence to share all the joys of his presence. And what did the Jewish people to whom Jesus say, think of this? How did they react? Well, they were hopping mad. They thought he's crazy, but that's for next week. And Ben will take us through that passage next week. May God bless his word to us today.